Hello there, citizens. We've not really talked yet about why I'm here. Why I'm sat here, maybe walking from place to place, library to library, or uh, let's call them learned Urizeni to learned Urizeni. That is because I am personally recovering from a, let's call it a stiff leg I've earned myself in the last season of fighting. And for today's, I guess, uh, reading, I wanted to cover the overall reason of why are we fighting and how does that work. And so, we're going to be talking about the Imperial Military Council. So I ask you, dear Ban, what is the Military Council, apart from a load of very unpopular or very popular generals? There doesn't seem to be much in the middle. So, the Military Council is the gathering of Imperial Generals and Admirals. Individually, the Generals have a responsibility to order their given army, which is Imperial, and is under their command, whilst the Admirals provide the orders for the navies that the Empire controls. However, unfortunately, we don't have any of those at the moment. Collectively, the council has the power to determine what will be used at the sentinel gate. And I say what will be used, that is in terms of the major conjunctions. When the heroes of the empire gather at Anvil, there are often a handful, a small but significant number of major conjunctions to use. However, we can only use two of them on average. So, it falls to the members of the Military Council to choose which two we go on. The Council also meets regularly during our time at Anvil to allow the Generals an opportunity to share strategic information and receive formal presentations from other citizens that wield the legal powers of the Council. This might be the throne, for example. While each General is a member of the Military Council, there is an implicit tension between their responsibility to the nation they represent and the perceived needs of the Empire as a whole. Throughout the history of the Empire, the strength of the Military Council has waxed and waned. When the Council is dominant, the goals of the nations take second place to the grand strategies. However, when the nations are dominant, their goals take precedence over the good of the Empire. Now, when I say good to the Empire, I do mean that in inverted commas. The good of the Empire is almost certainly the good of the nations as well. But the order in which we do things might not, qu <laughs> might not quite be the, uh, the most smooth process. Anyway, their role within the Empire is defined by the Imperial Constitution. And that clearly divides the responsibilities for war between the Imperial Senate and the Military Council. Generals are appointed by members of the Senate, but once appointed, they serve their full term unless they are revoked by the Synod. Only the Senate can declare war on another nation or end it, but the generals prosecute those wars and ultimately decide whether to invade a barbarian nation or not. Furthermore, the Senate is forbidden 
from intervening in the business of the military council. It is illegal for a senator to enter the council chamber whilst they are in session. So keep your eyes out if you're ever visiting the military council tent and you see your local senator for Hersinia, for example, you might want to tap them on the shoulder and ask them to get out. It's in their own interest. The main role of the military council is to determine how to best employ the major conjunctions that are controlled and presented to us by the sentinel gate. These conjunctions allow the empire to send hundreds of their most skilled warriors and heroes to key strategic locations on the empire's borders. But there are always difficult decisions to be made about which conjunctions to choose and which nations are best placed to take advantage of them. And of course, who will lead them through? When a battle opportunity leads to the capture of a significant resource, such as an enemy weapon, a prisoner, or a significant trove of barbarian resources, it is the responsibility of the military council to decide who will take custody of these resources. Usually, the presence of such resources is well known in advance, but an individual citizen can appeal to a magistrate for a decision if they believe that a field marshal has claimed treasures that were not part of the strategic objectives of the battle. Beyond control of the opportunities provided by the Sentinel Gate, the military council has relatively few legal powers and holds sessions primarily to give generals an opportunity to share goals and strategies. It has the power to arrange the disposal of all spoils of war, so any captured herb farms or mines, for example, valuable resources that have been captured by imperial forces on campaign. The council also plays a minor role in the judicial system. It has the power to release individuals who have been sentenced to fight to the death in battle if their service has been exemplary. The structure, historically, of the military council and imperial armies was laid down at the creation of the empire. The marcher steward, Tom Drake, argued passionately that the command of marcher yeomanry must be with a yeoman. He point-blank refused to compromise. For Drake, it was about the principle of representation and a right for marchers to choose who they raised up. The military commanders of other nations broadly agreed with him and his visions of armies raised within nations and led by generals of those nations, appointed by their senators, quickly gained ground. It also eased concerns in many quarters of a future throne who might seek to wield the might of the armies as a tyrant, or that the military council itself might overthrow the senate in a coup. Now, the senate sessions, or indeed the military council sessions, they are quite like the senate. The meetings of the military council are chaired by a civil servant, the head of the council. However, the rules of the council are not as strict as those of the Senate. Members may speak freely and come and go as they please during the course of the meeting. The Herald will act to ensure everyone is given an opportunity to speak, but ensure that the meetings run to time and do not become repetitive. Unlike the Imperial Conclave or the Imperial Senate, the Imperial Military Council has two distinct types of meetings. The muster takes place on the first night of each summit in Andal, 
and concerns the decision about the use of the Sentinel Gate. Other meetings, called Council Sessions, have a broader remit and take place throughout the summit. Now the muster is the most important meeting of the Military Council, which takes place on the first night, and at the start of the muster, the Herald will brief the assembled generals about the major conjunctions that the civil service have been able to identify. The generals then discuss these opportunities and decide which conjunction to use. When they decide which nations will use each conjunction and who will be in command on the field of each battle, they will do that next. Once a decision has been reached, the muster is formally over. Those in attendance are then expected to return to their nations let everyone present know what decisions the council has reached. Secrecy is not usually a concern, given that it was so far and deep inside imperial territory, and further still, an anvil, surrounded by loyal and diligent heroes of the Empire. Those in attendance, once they return back to their nations, uh, tell their people to prepare for the battles in the following days. The civil service also ensures that the egregores are informed to try and make sure everyone has a chance to find out when they might be called upon to fight. Now that was the muster, but the council sessions are held furthermore after it, or at least after the muster, and are held on each day following the first battle of the summit. They are distinct, shorter, and with a broader focus. Every session has an agenda set by the members of the council, and overseen by the Herald. The sessions give individual generals an opportunity to wield the collective power of the council, receive or deliver battle reports and other military briefings, and discuss or evaluate military strategies and concerns. Now, it's not just generals inside the military council. The Imperial War Mage is also present. They can participate in discussions, vote on matters of importance, and add items to the agenda for a council session. The right of witness ensures that every member of the Imperial Synod is entitled to observe the meetings of the Military Council. In practice, it is customary to allow any citizen who is interested in the council to attend. However, Neither priests nor any other imperial citizens may speak unless invited to do so by the Herald. The Herald, after all, does have the legal power to remove anyone from the chamber if their speech or behaviour is impeding the ability of the council to act. Any imperial citizen can ask the Herald to remove a non-citizen from the meeting. So if we ever sit in that tent and receive delegates from uh, the Iron Confederacy, for example, you could ask them to leave. The Constitution explicitly forbids senators from entering the military council under any circumstances. Some historical scholars claim this reflects the importance of the First Empress, as we discussed in one of our previous, um, well, entries. At least the importance the First Empress and her advisers placed on the separation of business from war and from politics. Less flattering interpretations point out that since the Emperor or Empress is a member of both chambers, this ruling also enhances the prestige and power of the throne. And 
in my humble opinion, dear listeners. I think that's fair. Now, the, the military council cannot submit orders to the imperial armies directly. Only the appointed general, or their adjutant, uh, their second in command, their replacement, their backup, um, even you could view them almost like a squire, as it's quite often that the generals will present themselves to each nation's senators before an election, where the senators will then choose the appropriate person to lead their armies. And quite often that general will come with an adjutant, or if there's a, some kind of contest or competitive process, the person who comes second might be the adjutant, for example. It, it varies a lot, and it's quite interesting to look into. Although the Synod is charged with oversight of the military council, and the generals who sit on it, neither the military council nor any other body may compel the generals to act in any way. They cannot even compel a general to attend a council session or muster, and every general has the ability to leave a session once they consider their business completed. And from my personal experience of looking in on such meetings in, well, it's been a little while now, years past at least, I can tell you that the muster does certainly drag on a little bit, as the threats arrayed against the Empire unfortunately do not align to the, well, the purpose and the agendas of the generals leading its armies. But there are quite a few other aspects to the military council. For example, how the armies progress from one part of the empire to another. How are they resupplied? How are they formed? And how is control and generals, generalship assigned to them? Now for that, we'll have to look into each individual nation of the empire. And thus, for this relatively short reading, I'll bring this to a close. But when you're next time, or at least next time on the front line, one, at least one of your fellow citizens is sat in a tent and has made the decision to put you there, in that place, at that time. Think of that what you will.